0: Hey everyone, this is Maria And this is Christina Thank you for joining us for this real life podcast We are two good friends And next door neighbors With different lifestyles but the same common goal To live wholesome, nutritious, and adventurous lives Hey podcast listeners It's Christina here I am coming to you by myself For a quick episode about spring foraging I have foraged for food since college (laughs) it probably came out of not having money for food around this time of year and it was exam season um I just love the like array of plants available to us right now when our gardens are kind of barren I just went out and took a walk in my garden and um It's new life sprouting up, like little tips of garlic and a few carrots that had wintered over but were still too small and needed time to grow, and some new spinach, um, but not enough, not a lot of substance out there, and um, I am just thankful for what is available in our woods and in our backyard. So if you've never gone foraging before if you've never um searched for wild naturally grown food um now is the best time to do it. And that is because there's so many varieties coming up and they're easy to spot because there's not um grass and other things growing around them. The first varieties of spring are just like some of the tastiest most tender edibles you'll ever find. Um Before I get into the amazing varieties that you can find foraging, um, I want to give you a little disclaimer. There are a lot of plants on this earth and there's a lot of ones that are really good for us and really nourishing, but there are also plants that can be harmful and poisonous to your body, so it's really important to get a field guide and to begin to research, begin to go out before you're even tasting plants, start to just get to know what plants are. So if you're in New York State, like I am, they have, uh, and, and really every state has one, a, a regional specific field guide, because plants that grow in Florida don't grow here. So, um, but there might be similar plants. So if you, if you get familiar with plants that are Um, climate and regionally adapted for this area, you'll um, have a much smaller group of plants to narrow down what you're identifying, if that makes sense. So a a paperback field guide is great. I always bring a satchel with me in the woods and that has my field guide, um, a scissors and bags for collecting things. So, um, and, and usually a knife. And so The field guide's fantastic. If you choose to bring your phone in the woods, there are also very cool apps that um, help you identify by taking a picture. I think the best way to learn is by flipping through the field guide because then you're seeing and reading names together, but you can rely on the apps as well. They are quite accurate. There's one that I use sometimes called Picture This. When I don't have my field guide with me, if I'm just out for a quick walk, Um, and I'm not quite foraging or anything and there's a new species, then I'll take a picture of it and identify it. And last year we were actually on a hike and we found this species that I'd never seen before. And I took a picture of it with the app and, and it was actually extremely rare. It was really cool. Of course, I can't remember the name of it anymore. Uh, Oh, Jack in the pulpit. No. It wasn't Jack in the Pulpit, but it was something like that. It looked like it. So anyway, um, that app is really handy to have. And you just need to be very careful and very discerning about what you put into your body. Make sure you know exactly what you're picking before you cook it up and serve it to yourself or your family. Be safe about foraging. But most of the time, you um, will just get an upset tummy if you eat something bad. I have not ventured into mushrooms for this reason uh, because I just haven't had the time to put into studying them, and I um, mushrooms seem to be the most toxic of all the species of foraging, um, so I just haven't ventured into that other than puffballs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you just need to know yourself and know how quickly you can learn and go out with people if you have that um, privilege to have people around you that have foraged before and learn with them. Uh, It is hard in this generation. I haven't found many people that know how to forage. Um, That knowledge just hasn't been passed on. So most of what I've learned has been from books and studying, and I have a degree in agronomy, so uh, I've learned to identify plant characteristics in college. Um, but, but anyone can do this, and you definitely don't need a degree to be able to forage. So it's really fun and a great way to get the kids involved and get out of the house. So I'm going to take you on a journey today. I hope that's not too strange, and uh, just take you on a virtual walk through the woods So, if we start at the woods edge, the forest edge where the most light comes in, you'll see very small, delicate plants. Um, And and one of my favorites is garlic mustard. I took a walk uh, with Emma, who you guys have heard on the podcast before, last week, and I was amazed at how much garlic mustard is coming up already. And um, it just fills the roadsides. And garlic mustard looks like... um, This beautiful leaf, and you have to Google these types because we're on a podcast, so I can't show you pictures, but um, it looks like a shell, like a clamshell-shaped leaf, and uh, if you taste it, it's got this like mustardy green taste with just an afterbite of garlic, and garlic mustard is so delicious when you saute it uh, together with some leeks and um, maybe like a little bit of vinegar, it's it's divine, and some, some butter. Um, so that's something you can just harvest in abundance. You can eat as much as you want, and it's just a great pot herb for this time of year. So look up garlic mustard for your picture reference. And there are a couple lookalikes, but all the lookalikes are also edible. But just make sure that you are going through and properly identifying. So um, that, uh, that's on like the woods edge when you just start to get into the woods. And then as you step into the woods further but you're staying on the path, if you look down, you might see some leaves that are spotted and they kind of look like the back of a toad. And those are actually called trout back lilies. Um, they're this light green that's almost blue with uh, creamy polka dots. And um, they're very smooth and almost rubbery, but delicious, very sweet. And they make a small flower that comes up, and um, they also have a tuber underground. But the leaves are divine. They grow right through July, and then sometimes you can spot them later in the season in cooler forests. us. Um, so those are something that I really like to eat raw as a salad. I love to collect a bunch of trout back lily and um, then make a lemon vinaigrette with some rosemary. I take, like, olive oil, lemon juice, um, and rosemary, salt, pepper, and, of course, garlic, and put it in a blender. And then pour that over the salad with some pumpkin seeds and some grilled chicken. It's amazing. So, trout back lilies are are a great one to, and, and also look that up, but there's, I've never seen anything that's looked similar to a trout back lily, um, so it's kind of, they're, they're hard to mistakenly identify, and then um, as you keep walking, you might find some dandelions, yes, dandelions are actually edible, and they're best eaten right now, and um, that's because as they grow, and they get bigger, and they start to produce the flower, they get bitter, And they're already bitter to begin with, but it's a nice, it's a pleasant bitter flavor. So right now, before anything else is up, harvest dandelions, when I'm weeding my garden especially, I um, pull all the dandelions out and then I bring them in and eat them. And I roast the roots and I brew them as like a dandelion tea. So you can eat the whole plant up to the flower. I've seen people make dandelion wine. And uh, I've actually made dandelion blossom jelly. It tastes like honey. It's very sweet and uh, succulent. So um, the dandelions, I love to roast that. And I'm Italian, so there's something we call steak in the grass, which is basically like a hoagie sandwich with a nice like skirt steak and then um saute dandelion's and all the garlic. You'll notice a theme with my cooking. It's basically like garlic and olive oil are the the foundational staples. <laughs> so, um yeah, steak in the grass is great. Grand li- dandelion's are fantastic. If you don't have woods near your house, I know you have dandelion's, just make sure you're in an area that doesn't spray because you don't want to um forage for these delicious nutrients, but then if they're covered in spray, it kind of negates the purpose. Um, And the cool thing about dandelions is they're so nutrient dense because their taproot is deep. They are um, a subsoil taproot, so so it can go down up to two feet, three feet uh, into the earth and bring up nutrients that weren't accessible to other plants. So a lot of plants on the subsurface, the soil layer the first couple inches they're recycling nutrients they're they're using the nutrients that are available in the first three inches and then they're decomposing and fertilizing for the next generation of plants and those nutrients are just kind of being recycled over and over again the dandelions they dig right down deep into the subsoil layer and they start to bring up fresh nutrients and then as they give their life at the end of the season and decompose back they're bringing introducing new nutrients into the um first soil layer so dandelions are i'm a big fan of dandelions um so moving on to the next plant um there is something called a fairy spud and that is similar in size to the trout back lily But it has this sweet little pink flower, and um, if you dig down into the soil just a little bit, they make these spuds. They're like a potato, a tiny potato. Now, the potato is the size of a pearl, but those spuds can be boiled and cooked. You have to dig a lot of them, but if you're starting a new garden or um, you're in an area that's near the wood line that has like a raised bed, oftentimes people will find these in their garden and they're much easier to dig that way. They can be more challenging when you're in the woods because there's a lot of roots and um, just a lot going on. The soil isn't as loose as a tilled garden, so... um but but they're still edible completely edible and and beautiful spring flowers i forgot to mention that the trout back lily has this brilliant yellow flower um that comes up and that will come up probably the end of may same with the fairy spuds their flower will be around may Um, and this is for the new york area we're zone four so we're quite cold um I'm recording this podcast the end of April, and things are – we just had snow melt yesterday and this morning. We had church outside and um, around the campfire, and we had to brush the snow off of our benches. So it uh it's quite cold right now. You haven't missed anything for foraging. Um, you can start now and forage right through to June, these varieties I'm talking about, and some of them July. Now, last variety, which is my absolute favorite, are the leeks or wild ramps. A lot of people are familiar with these. You can smell them when you're in the woods. Um, They're just decadent, and, and we use them like scallions. So they start to come up. Right when we turn down the buckets for sugaring season. And so for somebody that's not making maple syrup, another signifier would be when the blossoms or the buds, I'm sorry, the buds on the trees start to come out, then you can go in the woods and start looking for leeks. They're the first thing to appear. Two leaves, brilliant. You'll never have a leek that has three leaves. So that's how you can identify them is there's always just two long leaves and it will smell very strong of garlicky onion. You can see why I like them. Now, the rule of thumb for digging leeks is you never take more than a third of the patch, because they're slow to regrow, and each plant, each tuber um, is a plant, so it takes a lot of time for them to multiply and keep regrowing and Unfortunately, leeks have been very densely harvested in the United States and so the populations of leeks are decreasing over time. If we follow that rule of thumb where we only take a third from each patch, they will have enough time to reproduce. And if you do that for years and years to come, you'll always have leeks available. So I just try to tell people to only take a third. And when I'm referring to a patch... Um, it's within 10 feet. So so like a grouping, you'll see, and then maybe 20 or 30 feet away, there'll be another patch. You can go ahead and take another third from that patch. So if you, if you do that, you're still allowing um, the leeks to grow and you're still getting a good harvest, but you're just spreading out the harvest and then you're freeing up that root bundle for them to keep growing out. Um, leeks are, there's a million and one ways to use leeks. I like to, for preserving purposes, chop them up and freeze them to then make ham and leek soup all year round. For some reason, ham and leeks go so well together, especially with potatoes. Another way I use leeks is I pickle them um, by cutting off the greens and I freeze the tops and then I take the... um, the tu- I'm calling it a tuber and it's probably the wrong name, but like the oniony part of it. And I place them in a jar with my favorite pickle brine. And uh, they need to cure in the jar after I water bath them for about 30 days. And after that, they are divine, a great thing to slice up and put on salads or um, serve on a charcuterie platter. The leeks are just so good. My husband's favorite are leek frittatas. So I will take – I usually cook a whole ham, and I'll pour, like pull half to two-thirds of it for our ham and leek soup. But then I save the other part for um, a breakfast frittata, and I chop up our leeks and our ham, and I saute them together with butter. And then I um, pour eggs over it and bake it in the oven, and it is so good. For some reason, leeks go really well with eggs. Um, I'm trying to think of all the other things that I do. I've made dressings with leeks where I put them whole in the blender raw and then I've added, and that's with the green and everything. And then I'll add some lemon juice and some salt and pepper, um, some oil and like that makes a great marinade. Leeks are stinky. (laughs) They, we have them in our farm store right now and I just apologize to people as they walk in because it smells like we didn't shower. I went to college, um, and I told you I foraged a lot in school, and I would take leeks and um, make ham and leek soup or stir fry, and I packed my lunch one day, and I was sitting in the classroom, and and I had a class that was back-to-back in the same room, and at the first class, it smelled so bad, and I was like, somebody in here needs to shower, like, this is awful what is that smell? And I couldn't believe it. And I was like, this is gross. Like it just smelled like an old locker room. And everyone in the class left after it was over except for me because my next class was in the same room and the smell did not leave with them. And I realized that it was my lunch in my backpack. But by the time I realized it, students were already coming in for the next class and it was too late to leave. So I just had my stinky leeks in the classroom, two classes in a row. Ever since then, I haven't packed leeks when I'm going out. That's something you just enjoy in the privacy of your own home. So anyway, I hope this inspired you to go out and forage, whether it's just a dandelion that we all can recognize or um, something like the trout back lily. It, it, everything is so delicious this time of year, and there's hundreds of more varieties. These are just the easiest ones that I know for you to find. So uh, I definitely encourage you to uh, invest in a field guide if you have if you have that capability, or when the libraries reopen, they have lots of field guides. I know in our personal library in Alfred, I um, have have shown Melanie a couple books, and I think she's taken them out um, or purchase them for our library that you can take out. So there's a lot of things that you can learn about foraging, and this is just a good start and a good place to get your feet wet. So I hope this encourages you. I hope this finds you well, and stay healthy, everyone. Until next week. If you want to find more information about, um, Maria. You can visit her website at thrivinghealthnewyork.com. You can follow me on our Facebook page or on our website, sunnycovefarm.com. And send us an email. Let us know if there's any topics you want us to cover on the podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thanks for listening.